Uh, let's just bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, we can come together today in freedom to uh, worship you together, to hear from your word, to uh, be encouraged and challenged. And we do pray that uh, you would be helping us to uh, understand uh, more of Jesus' love for us, that uh, we would indeed uh, love him uh, with affection, with commitment. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The last weekend was Easter, and uh, as usual, the uh, television news broadcast showed various images which are typical of Easter. Uh, there was um, images of fish markets on Good Friday. There was uh, images of pilgrims in Jerusalem. There was uh, images of church services all around the world. In fact, I don't know if any of you remember it, but a few years ago, there was images of us on television at Easter time. Do you remember that? Who was there that uh, was on a Good Friday service? And uh, it was there on Good Friday service. And about three quarters of the way through the sermon, those William Street doors burst open and in came a television camera crew, set themselves up in the aisle and I thought to myself, Scott, if you've ever preached the gospel clearly, this is the moment. Uh, and we were on television that uh, particular uh, Good Friday evening. Uh, this year, there was one image of Easter, which you may or may not have picked up on, that was on television. In amongst all of the other celebrations, the services around the world, the fish markets, etc., there was one story about some Christians in China. Resurrection Sunday. Did you see that? All they wanted to do was to get together and to worship God on Resurrection Sunday, but instead uh, they were rounded up by the police and they were put into buses and whisked away. Uh, they are a house church uh, in China. If you want to be a legal legally recognised church, you have to agree not to preach certain doctrines about God and about Jesus and about the afterlife. And so that's why a lot of Christians in China choose not to uh, be part of the official church. And so there they were, uh, being whisked away. Uh, their leaders were already under house arrest. They'd been arrested the day before. And it makes you think about, well, how much do I love Jesus? How far does our love for Jesus go? Imagine what that would be like. Imagine, I mean, it's hard enough to get into church on, um, with a triathlon happening, but uh, what about if, you know, I told you that next week if you come to church you could be arrested, you could be whisked away by the police. That would test your love for Jesus, wouldn't it? It would test my love for Jesus. What about a more realistic scenario? What about uh, if, how, how much does our love for Jesus extend when loving Jesus means that we will have to uh, make some, give up some of our long-held ambitions in life? Uh, what about uh, when loving Jesus means that 
we would have to make some costly sacrifices and give up some of the creature comforts in order to serve him. How far would our love for Jesus extend then? That's an interesting question. It's actually the kind of question that um, Peter... Sorry, this microphone's not working properly. That might be better. It's the kind of question that uh, Peter was confronted with on this particular occasion in John chapter 21 when Peter met up again with the resurrected Jesus. And it's a, a question which confronts and ought to confront every single one of us. How far does your love for Jesus extend? Well, in John 21, uh, we're taken to a scene uh, alongside the Sea of Tiberias. We read that in verse 1. The Sea of Tiberias, by the way, uh, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Um, sometime after Jesus' death, the Romans built a town along, that, uh, along the Sea of Galilee which they called Tiberius after the Caesar at the time, and so the sea became known as the Sea of Tiberius. And the disciples were there, uh, because in Mark chapter 16, there was a young man at the empty tomb who told them to go ahead and to wait for Jesus in Galilee. And so they'd done that. There they were by the Sea of Galilee, a group of fishermen, waiting. What do you think fishermen do when they're by a sea? and they've got time on their hands. Well, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, well, we're coming along as well. That's what they did. They took a boat out onto the sea, and they fished all night. How many fish did they catch? None. None. They were about 90 metres offshore, about 100 yards, in the morning, when something extraordinary happened in verses 4 through to 14, there was a man standing on the shore who called out to them. Now, when I see guys fishing, I walk past, I normally say, how's the fishing going? Or have you caught many yet? No, not this time. This man called out to them and said, you haven't caught any, have you? Try putting your net over onto the other side of the boat. Now, we don't know why they obeyed. Perhaps they thought, well, we haven't caught anything. Maybe he can see something we can't see. They didn't know who the man was. They've got nothing to lose. So they put their nets over onto the other side of the boat, and what happened? 153 large fish got caught in the net. And at that point, the penny dropped because they'd seen something like that happen once before. And they realised that that man was Jesus. Peter's an interesting character. Uh, he, um, he just girds himself up, jumps in the water, says, forget about the fish, forget about the boat, whatever it takes, I want to get to Jesus. And that's what he does. That's Peter. And then in verses 12 through to 14, we've got this interesting scene where John tells us that as Jesus uh, was on the, at the beach there, that Jesus cooked breakfast on the beach and he invited the disciples to join him. 
Now, that, that is a nice picture, isn't it? Because we don't normally think of Jesus as being the one who's cooking breakfast on the beach. But that's what we have here. In verse 15, breakfast was over, and we don't know if Jesus took Peter aside or whether he spoke to Peter in the context of the whole group. But in verse 15 and onwards, Jesus now confronted Peter. And three times he asked him this question. In verse 15, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? It's not the fish that he's talking about. Who do you think he's talking about? Who are the more than these? It's the other disciples. In verse 16, he says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And then in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, why would Jesus be asking uh, Simon Peter these questions? Uh, let's think a little bit about the, personality, about the relationship between Jesus and Peter. H how would you describe, from what we've studied in John's Gospel, how would you describe Peter's personality? What sort of words come to your mind when you think of Peter? Passionate. Any other words? Impulsive. One from up there. Shout out loud. Be a bit like Peter. All right, passionate, impulsive. Uh, I think of uh, words such as enthusiastic, uh, zealous, affectionate. I mean, he's the guy who simply jumps into the water. He says, forget about the boat, forget about the fish, whatever it takes, I want to get to Jesus. That's Peter. I mean, he's the disciple who speaks up. Uh, remember, he was there at the Transfiguration when uh, Jesus appeared alongside with Elijah and Moses. He saw it, he witnessed it. And when it was all over, what did Peter say? He said, well, let's build three booths to commemorate the occasion. So he's the guy who speaks up even when he doesn't know what to say. Sometimes he does know what to say. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who was it who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? It was Peter. He got it right, didn't he? He's enthusiastic, he's zealous, he's impulsive. You have to say that he's affectionate. Um, at the last Passover, and what we've just uh, read a few weeks ago in, in John chapter 13, uh, when Jesus told the disciples that he would leave them and that where he was going they could not follow, it was Peter who said, Why can't I follow you now, Lord? And then he said, I will lay down my life for you. Remember what Jesus said? Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, who was it who drew the sword and swiped off the servant's ear in defence of Jesus? It was Peter. But then, outside the home of Caiaphas, as Jesus was on trial... Peter was afraid. 
Three times he was asked and three times he denied that he even knew Jesus. Uh, Peter was a zealous man who overstepped. Peter was a, a, uh, an enthusiastic man who was too confident in himself and who did not recognise the sinfulness of his own heart until the moment that the rooster crowed. And he broke down and wept bitterly. That was a great moment of shame for Peter. It was a defining moment in his life. And friends, in so much that that was a defining moment in his life, so too was this, this moment on the beach. Here on the beach, Jesus asks, Simon Peter, do you love me? Ask him three times. Three times Peter denied him. Three times he's asked, do you love me? Now, what is love? There's been a bit of talk about love this weekend, hasn't there? With the uh, royal wedding on Friday. Did you watch the royal wedding? on? Put up your hand if you watched the royal wedding on Friday night. Yep. Okay. Well, I don't feel quite so uncool. I must admit I watched it a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, I was intrigued by the trees in the church building. I've uh, spoke to... Uh, our floral arrangers here and ask them if they can organise that. Um, did you notice there was no pews uh, in, the, uh, in the Abbey? No pews. How about that, eh? Break with tradition. I love the Bible reading. Who can tell me what the passage was? It was Romans 12. What a great word from God for the whole world or half the world to hear. My favourite moment, though, was what happened after the wedding. Did you see the closed circuit television inside the Abbey after everything had... That's right, the minister doing cartwheels down the aisle. <laughs> I reckon that's a job for Peter Charles. <laughs> he could do it. The, the question, you know, the issue of love. It's, everyone's talking about love. What is love? Now, as I've mentioned uh, previously uh, in this series... In John's Gospel, there are two Greek words that are translated simply as love in our NIVs. Uh, one, of the, one of them is the word, and C.S. Lewis once wrote a book, I think it's called The Four Loves, where he uh, outlines the different uh, words for love uh, in, the, in the Bible. Um, one of the words which is used in John's Gospel is the word agape. Now, agape is it's a love which is sacrificial, it's commitment, it's a doing kind of love. The other word is the word phileo, uh, which is, broadly speaking, that's more about affection. Um, it's about that passion that we might have for each other. In our relationships, we need both, don't we? Um, can you think about family relationships? Uh, if, if a parent loves their child and expresses their love by simply doing good things in caring for the child, providing for the child, but never shows any real affection, then there's something kind of missing, isn't there? Right? 
Now the opposite can happen as well. You know, if, a per if a parent is always hugs and kisses but doesn't actually act for the benefit of the child, then that's not great either. We need both. We need both kinds of the agapair and the phileo love in our relationships, in our special relationships. Now the reason I mention this is not because I'm interested in giving a lesson in Greek, I'm not, but it's because in verses 15 to 17 uh, it is quite evident and it, it, and it um, leaps out at you when you look at it in the Greek text that both words are used by Jesus and by Peter. So in verse 15, when Jesus says to Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Uh, he uses the agape love. Do you love me sacrificially in a committed way more than these? Uh, Peter answers by saying, uh, Lord, you know that I am fond of you, that I have affection for you. He uses the filio love. It's the same in verse 16. And then in verse 17, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with affection? And Peter says, you, you know that I love you uh, with affection. Now, uh, some of the scholars say, look, let's not make too much of the different words here. Let's not read too much into it. That uh, in John's Gospel, the two words are used interchangeably. But if John, in translating from the Aramaic into the Greek what was said in this, on this occasion, chooses two different words in the Greek with different meanings, then I take it that there's a reason for that. And uh, perhaps it's this, that if we truly love Jesus, then we're going to have both. We will have a heartfelt affection for Jesus, which is demonstrated by commitment, uh, a commitment to change our character, a commitment to action, a commitment to sacrifice. Uh, you see, it is possible for a Christian to have one without the other. Well, for a church person to have one without the other. That's an issue that we all could be confronted with. It's possible to be someone who is the pillar of the church, who gets involved with lots of different activities, who might be in a Bible study group, who might be on the committee of management, uh, who might be serving, in a, whose commitment to the church nobody could point a finger at. But yet to do so without a heartfelt love and affection for Jesus. Now, it's not the infallible test of that, but one thing to think about is to what extent is our commitment to activities matched by our personal prayer life um, as we intimately relate with our Saviour? Because without that phileo kind of love, when we're only giving sacrificially and committed, it can turn into a legalism and a self-righteousness. The opposite can happen as well. 
Uh, what if uh, the person was a person was uh, profuse with their expressions of love for Jesus and their emotions and their expressed desire to love him and how good he is to them, but that kind of love never actually results in repentance and a commitment to serve him sacrificially. Peter had shown great affection for Jesus, but when it became dangerous at the household of Caiaphas, he stepped back from commitment and he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. But now on the beach, three times, Jesus would give him the chance to say, I love you. And what we see in Peter's response is that there is great affection in his love for Jesus. And as it turned out, over time, this affection proved to actually lead to a commitment to sacrifice. Now, I'll show you why I say that. Uh, Firstly, in verses 15 through to 17, notice how Jesus responds to Peter every time Peter says, I love you. Uh, What does Jesus say in verse 15? He says, well, if you love me, then feed my lambs. Verse 15. In verse 16, what does Jesus say? He says, take care of my sheep. And in verse 17, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Some say, well, it's those who are coming to faith. Sheep are the mature ones. I don't know if we need to read that into it, but it seems to be there. Take care, feed my flock. Now, what do you think Jesus is doing? What's going on here? Well, you'd have to say that he's forgiving Peter, isn't he? That uh, what he's saying is that irrespective of his denial, that things are now back on track between Peter and Jesus. Can you imagine what that would come to mean to Peter over time? That he would be forgiven? And secondly, Jesus is commissioning Peter to be a shepherd of God's flock. One who feeds and one who protects God's people. And friends, according to Jesus in John John chapter 10, what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Lays down his life. And that is exactly what Peter would do. Have a look at verses 18 and 19. Because in verses 18 and 19, Jesus speaks of Peter's future. Feed my sheep, says Jesus. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. That sounds a bit cryptic. What does Jesus mean there? Well, John tells us Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me, follow me. In the Roman Empire, 
when a man was crucified, he would be led to the place of execution. And as he was led, his arms would be outstretched because he would carry on his shoulders the crossbeam of the crucifix. Just like Jesus did on Good Friday. Jesus is saying that just as John had said that he would lay down his life for Jesus, that he will. That is what will happen. There's a little interesting uh, uh, report here that uh, John, uh, Peter was with John, probably John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and uh, Peter says, well, what about him? <laughs> and Jesus says, never mind him. The focus here is you. Will you love me? Do you love me? Now, how then did Peter die? Well, the New Testament doesn't record for us the death of Peter. And the reason for that is because the, the, the books of the New Testament were completed before Peter died. Right? Uh, but we can turn to the, uh, the writings of the early church leaders from the first and second and third centuries because they record uh, how Peter died or the oral tradition that had been passed on. One of the church leaders in the latter part of the first century AD was uh, Clement. He became the church leader in Rome and he may be the Clement who's referred to in Philippians chapter 4 by the Apostle Paul. In 90 AD, Clement wrote these words uh, in a letter. Let me read them for you. I've printed them for you on your sheets because I know that you don't have access to what Clement wrote. Let's have a look at this. Clement wrote to some Christians saying, let us take the noble examples of our own generation, right? our own generation, the people that they mixed with. Through jealousy and envy, the greatest and most just pillars of the church were persecuted and came even unto death. Peter, through unjust envy, endured not one or two but many labours. And at last, having delivered his testimony, departed unto the place of glory due to him. What's he saying? Peter was one of those ones who was persecuted unto death because he preached the gospel, because he fed God's sheep. Just over a hundred years later, another church leader by the name of Tertullian uh, recorded that the way that Peter died was through crucifixion. Uh, during the persecutions of Emperor Nero in Rome. Another church leader by the name of Origen, a bit later on, uh, reported what had become an oral tradition, uh, just uh, something had been passed down by word of mouth, that when Peter was crucified, that Peter asked that he be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die the same way as Jesus. Now, I must add that uh, there is uh, 
the evidence for that is less firm than what has been said by Clement and by Tertullian. We now come to the end of John's Gospel. Uh, it's been a long and, a, I believe, a fruitful journey as we've uh, looked at it uh, this year and, as, and for a period last year. And the Gospel concludes in verses 24 and 25 by telling us that what we've read about Jesus here is no fable. It's not written as a work of fiction. It's uh, not a um, fairy tale. That what it is is in fact an eyewitness account. And actually what is recorded there is just a sample of what Jesus taught. There were lots of other things that Jesus taught and Jesus did which, well, there's not enough space uh, to record those things. But it's not fiction. It's fact. At the end of uh, the last chapter, chapter 20, uh, we're told that uh, these things are recorded for us so that we might believe and that in so believing that we might inherit eternal life. Now, John's Gospel is not written for our entertainment, uh, for our curiosity, for our stimulation. It's written so that we would believe. Because when we believe, we inherit eternal life. That's its purpose. And so at the end of the Gospel, there's one question which confronts us all, all of us here today. That's the question which Jesus asked Peter. Do you truly love Jesus? Now, some of us may think, well, I'm not sure that I'm as good as other people. Or I'm not sure that um, I'm as strong in the faith. Or I know that I don't know my Bible as well as I'd really like to. I'm not as talented as some. But that's not the question, is it? The question is, do you love Jesus? As we've uh, read through John's Gospel, we've learnt of how Jesus loves us. We've learnt of how he loves the poor, the sick, the lonely, the outcasts. Do you love him because of that? We've learnt of how he willingly went to the cross, died, how in so doing he has washed clean the guilt of all our sin so that we can be forgiven. Do you love Jesus for that? We've learnt of how he left, of how he was resurrected, of how he was ascended to heaven. And he's done so in order to prepare a place for us, for you. So that rather than spending eternity without God, that we can enjoy an eternity with our Creator. Do you love Jesus for that? We've learnt of how he cares for his sheep. 
of how he takes care of all of our needs day by day, week by week, year by year, of how he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Do you love him for that? Then if so, trust him. Follow him. Obey him. Seek to be more like Jesus. Give of yourself sacrificially. Be committed, no matter the cost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' love for us that means that we can be forgiven. We thank you for his love for us that means that we can enjoy an eternity with you in your heaven. We thank you for his love for us that means that all our needs are cared for in the way that you choose. Father, we pray that we would love him that we would love him not with a legalism but with an affection, that we would love him not just with emotions but with actions. We pray that we would be committed to change, to repentance, to being more like Jesus, to taking on that character of gentleness and graciousness and humility and kindness. We pray that we put him first in all things. We pray that we would be available to you to be used in your service as Peter was. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.